listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. There we go. On. Um, I ask Amanda this time to just... Um, kind of move into the, the sermon bumper and, and give us a chance to, or even me a chance to kind of lead us in prayer. And, and here's why. Um, as Romans 15 kind of unfolds, as Jared did a great job last week, just really talking about the substance and significance of what it looks like to, to be a people that are after God's own heart and what it looks like to welcome others as Christ has welcomed us and just really capturing some focus for us about what it means to, to live a life that's centered on the truth of the gospel. Uh, Paul continues really on his argument this morning about the significance of what it means to be a follower of Christ, but this morning is one of those places where uh, I think the word becomes very directed, very, very targeted to each and every one of us specifically. And so what I want to do is I want to lead us in a bit of prayer that our hearts would be open and being willing to really hear about what I would call um, wrestling with what our gospel assignment is. That many of us, and, and maybe um, all of us at some way or another, have wrestled with what, what our purpose is before the God of the universe. Like what have we been designed to do? How, how we've been made specifically and uniquely, but sometimes figuring out what that looks like and how to be driven by the very things that the gospel has called us to sometimes feels a little bit hard to capture. And I think Paul leads us in that direction this morning in Romans 15. And so my sense is through the truth of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit, God is compelling each of us to consider what that is what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ specifically in the areas of influence and in the places that God has called us to function in those ways. So for many of us, we might be even considering what, what the mission the Lord has laid out for us. How do we know, understand what our purposes before the Lord. For some of our younger people, it's like, what's my calling? What has God called me to do with my life? But it doesn't, it's not age specific. I, can, I think each of us are wrestling that with that in every given season. What is the reason that God has called me to be his followers for this season at this moment in this time? So would you pray with me this morning? Father, we take in your grace yet again. We are reminded of the potency and the power of the gospel. You have rescued us. You have invited us into a family and equipped us with a calling. But we don't want to be just a people that do the things that are before us and live under the tyranny of the urgent. We want to be a purposeful people. We want to consider the significance of the calling that you have placed on our life. We want to understand what it means to be driven by the gospel. We want to know what it looks like to follow you faithfully. So we come as a people this morning, and we just confess that our hearts are open. We want to say, wherever you call, and to whoever you call us to go, we will go. We yet again this morning surrender our life asking for you to do a work that only you can do. And so we trust you 
We trust the equipping of the Holy Spirit, and we trust that you will speak as you always do through the truth of your word. And so we say, here we are, Lord. Do what you need to do. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So as Paul is kind of walking through, and we've been in this book for almost nine months, which has been really great as we've just seen the depth of theology that Paul has really outlined for the church at Rome, a church that he did not plant and has yet to visit. So there's this sense in which he's hearing about the reality of how the church is functioning. In some ways, there's some noise that's taking place. There's some information that reaches ears about how the church at Rome is functioning. And as, if you've read the New Testament at all, a lot of the letters that Paul writes to the churches, like Corinth specifically, things aren't going so great. <laughs> There's some challenges and the difficulty that he's dealing with at the, the church to try and course correct, to bring them back into the alignment of the truth of who Jesus is and who he's called the church to be. But it's unique here with the church at Rome. The unique part is that he's actually pretty thrilled with how they're working. If, if you'll look with me in Romans chapter 15, here's what he says in the first few verses of chapter 14 and following. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. And here are three reasons that Paul would say, look, I'm, I'm satisfied with the work that you're doing. And it's like, I'm, I'm proud of you. You're, you're doing the right things. Here's what he says. You yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. So Paul lays out the areas in which he looks at the bride of Christ at the church at Rome and says, look what's going well. And the infrastructure, the foundation that he places on the bottom of that is you guys are good. Like there's a, there's a care and a compassion that the, the gospel has transformed their lives in such a way that they're uniquely interacting with one another that can be described as though they're starting and continuing to care deeply about the needs of one another. And you would look at Romans 15, 14, and you would say to yourself, and Paul's been a little bit targeted through the first few chapters about where he doesn't think that they're really lining up, that there's been some challenges that they've faced, and it seems as though there's tension within the context of the church. So this seems like kind of out of nowhere. Paul, I never thought that you thought that we were doing so well, or that we're about the right things. And yet Paul explains that very clearly, which I think is important for us to consider, because here's what he says. In verse 16, uh, verse 15, he says, but on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So here's what Paul says. He says, look, you, there's, there's things that I'm really excited about what's happening in the church at Rome. You're, there's, a, there's a goodness that's coming across in terms of how you're presenting the truth of the gospel. You're full of the knowledge. You understand the truth of the scriptures in real and pertinent ways. And you're able to instruct one another that there's a level of conversation and a re-entering the truth of God's word in unique and transformative ways. 
But Paul says, here's what I also need you to know. I've been very bold in communicating to you some of the most essential reminders that every church needs reminders of all the time because we can do the church thing and forget the purpose of the church. And that's what he says. He says, within the context of the church, here's what you need to know. You never graduate from the gospel. Never. There's never a moment where we have lived the Christian life so long that we don't need to be constantly and chronically reminded of the power and the potency of the gospel. That the essence of what Paul is saying here is that there's a a gospel purpose that you've been given and a reality that you're changed by a a gospel purpose, that you're, you're motivated by a gospel purpose and you're changed by gospel grace. That every moment of every day, there's a substance and a significance of realizing that we need the rescuing grace of Jesus Christ. That we never graduate from the gospel. There's not a moment where the truth of God's word and his transforming power through rescuing grace isn't something that we need. But then he tells us that we also have a gospel purpose. That in every aspect of every part of our lives, God is shaping, designing us, and directing us to be those people that are so focused on the work of God in our lives and the lives of others, that our lives are lived in such a way that we're open-handed with everything that we have. Our time, our talents, our treasures, all of those pieces are rescued by the truth of the gospel and motivated in such a way to honor and pursue him. So Paul says to the church at Rome, like, look, there's goodness. You know the truth of God's word. You're able to instruct one another. But here's what you need to know. At the end of the day, the most significant thing and the reality that's most most important for you to realize is that certainly growing in your walk with the Lord is critical, but it's gonna move you to consistent spaces where you and I need to be engaged with how the gospel affects the lives of other people. We've been called for a gospel purpose and we've been saved by gospel grace. So what does Paul say in the context of this first part of Romans 15, 14 through 16? He tells us that the message drives our ministry. That the essence of God's word and the substance of what God has written on the pages of scripture are actually the directives and the reasons why we do what we do. So as followers of Jesus Christ, if you've been saved, meaning that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and that his blood that was shed on the cross was what forgave us for our sins and invited us into this life-transforming, consistent relationship with the God of the universe, that God is about consistently reminding reminding us of his presence in our lives and then compelling us to the people in the world around us because the only message that exists that can be a part of that which transforms people's heart is the gospel. There's a reason he calls it good news. There is no other hope that the world has or that you have for life change or life transformation other than the gospel itself. And so what he wants to remind the church at Rome, and I would even say us at Park Springs Bible Church, is that there's no other message. And that message drives everything that we say and do. You've been designed for a gospel purpose, and you're chronically being saved by gospel grace. Like those are the rhythms, even the footsteps, if you will, of who God is calling us to be. 
I have a gospel purpose, and I've been chronically and consistently being saved by gospel grace. I have a gospel purpose, and I'm saved by gospel grace. I have a gospel purpose, and I'm saved by gospel grace. That's the message that drives our ministry. We're being reminded on a regular basis that we don't come to church as those who have figured life out so that we can go tell others how great life is because everything is easy once you become a Christian. Anyone have that experience? Not me. I mean, sometimes even professing faith in Jesus Christ, my life has gotten harder, right? There are other decisions that I make because of God's rescuing grace in my life that I wouldn't normally make. And so if it's true that the message drives my ministry and our ministry, then what we are saying to ourselves in confession as part of being a, the bride of Christ here at Park Springs Bible Church is we're saying to one another, you have been designed for a purpose. That God has a calling and an assignment on your life. And that assignment is one that God unfolds for us as we continue to rely solely on the message of God's word. And it begins to change and transform us and equip us to do the very things that God has called us to do. I'd like to share how this works out in a person in my family's life. My sister, um, <coughs> years ago, uh, just really had felt impressed that God had called her to be a mom. And she was convinced that that was really a part of a calling God had placed on her life. But usually to be a mom, you need a husband. But somehow, in the context of her life, that person never really showed up. There was a desire for it wholeheartedly, but she was so convinced that the Lord had called her to be a mom as a single woman, she stepped into the foster care system. She decided to say, Lord, I got to trust you. And I know that all of the infrastructure isn't there that I would love to be there to fulfill this calling. But somehow in some way, I'm so convinced that this is what you called me to do. I'm going to trust you. And so she did. And with a matter of days, a young little boy was born with significant medical needs. And they asked her, are you willing? And she said, yes. And so for the first year and a half of his life, he was in the hospital. His lungs continued to collapse because of a traumatic birth story and some birth defects that had happened. And she was there regularly as the foster mom. Just incredibly difficult for her because she was there loving on this young little boy with no ability to make decisions. The system itself was making decisions for her, and she was there responding to those things on a regular basis. After a year and a half, finally she was able to take him home. And for five years now, she's raised this little boy who has on his birth certificate, baby. There's not a name associated with it. There's all of the bureaucracy that's been associated with all of those things, but again, with this compelling desire to love and to follow God and convince that part of her calling was to be a mom. She's navigated some of the most difficult moments that she could imagine in life because of this desire to follow through on the calling that God has given her. I leave today after church to find myself with my family on Monday at noon for the court to decide that she can adopt 
this little boy. His name is Josh, and he will be part of the Kuth family. On Monday at noon, he will actually have a name associated with his birth certificate. He will be part of our family. As she stepped into the reality of that calling, there was so much uncertainty. So many people would be like, I don't know if this is the best thing to do. Look, you need all of these other elements. And what Paul is saying to the church in Rome, the essence of what you need to fulfill the calling God has placed on your life is the gospel. That's what you need. That's the basis for which we're called to move and to to be the very people that God has called us to be. And so in the process of those things, the basis of how we begin to make decisions is the message of Jesus Christ. Who are you? Well, right now I'll tell you, you're a rescued people. You're a people who God has saw fit since the foundations of the world, even prior to Psalm 139 says, before you were even in your mother's womb, God knew you. And in knowing you, he has placed an understanding and a calling and an intimacy on your life in such a way that you have a gospel purpose. And so, so far, so many of us would consider, well, that gospel purpose has to be big and grandiose. I'm never going to be an apostle. I'm never going to be a preacher. I don't know if I'll ever be a missionary that'll go overseas. That's not what Paul's talking about. Although I pray that for some of you, that will be your calling. We as a church are deeply desiring more people to choose ministry and choose to jump into the mission field as part of Park Springs Bible Church. That might not be your calling. Your calling may be the very same thing that it was for my sister to be a mom and to love and disciple your children well, to be an honorable father and to focus on the needs and the truth of the gospel, to be an individual who finds themselves in the workforce that is a light into a dark place where all of secular society wants to tell you that the only way to get ahead is to step on top of people. And you choose because you've been so convinced of your gospel calling that you function with the gospel ethic because you've been rescued by gospel grace. You see that right now, in some way, whether you know it or not, you are fulfilling the gospel calling. And the way we understand how that begins to unfold more frequently in our life is that we allow the message to drive our ministry. When I say that, here's what I mean. What's the message? The message is is that God gives us a clear understanding of the world around us. Romans 1 was absolutely fundamentally clear. People suppress the truth about God. Romans was also clear. We suppress the truth about ourselves. That God is in the process of changing. And so we look at the world around us and we say to ourselves, I don't know what my purpose is, but at the end of the day, even if I can't fully capture it, I am an ambassador of Jesus Christ to a world that has gotten it confused and distorted. And by someone who is being constantly and daily rescued by gospel grace, I want the world around me to know by my life and my words that this gospel changes things. It changes everything. Why? Because it's changed me. You see, Paul is so convinced of his testimony and the work that God has done that he is laser focused on what God has called him to do. I think he's giving us an example, if you will, or a, a picture of what the church is called to be. When I was a young boy, one of the things that I loved most was this little slingshot that I had. 
Uh, I could get in a whole bunch of trouble with that, but that is not the purpose for the message today. And, and this slingshot was one of those things where, you know, you put your hand in it and, and you'd put this little rock in this little leather pouch and you'd pull back as far as you can and you'd aim at a target and then you'd let it go. Let me give you a thought that maybe in some ways that's part of what God has called the church to be. That we, as those people, are protected, pulled back into this leather pouch and we're aimed at specific areas of the world and then as we grow and we learn in the context of the church and God transforms our life and we understand more about his character, we're, we're launched into the world at specific targets. What specific targets, you ask? How about the place you work? How about the community that surrounds us? How about the school across the street? How about your family and individuals in your home that don't know Jesus? How, how about the people in your neighborhood that you're uncertain about whether they have a relationship with Jesus Christ? What if on Sunday mornings we're pulled back and we learn of who God has called us to be and then Sunday afternoons we're launched into the world? In some ways, that's what Paul is communicating here, that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a gospel purpose because we've been rescued by gospel grace. So here's where I think he goes after this. Verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders and by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I don't know if we, are we out of PowerPoint? Is it, it done done? Okay. Well, there was a map and it was an awesome map. And if you knew the map, it would be even more amazing. But I will try and paint the canvas for you of this map. So here's what Paul says in these verses, and it's, it's intriguing to me. Because Paul says, look, as I've done the ministry, and there's nothing, I'm very proud of the work that I've done. But he's not saying, I'm assuming that I've done great things. It's only what Christ has done through me. That there is a work and a transforming power of, of the work of Christ through me that, that is unmatched. And he would say, and I would say that he's, he's had a front row seat to the power of the gospel in the lives of other people. I mean, I've seen sitting before you, there are individuals that are even sitting next to you that are testimonies of gospel grace. Marriages transformed, and you have a front row seat, not because of some amazing words that have been said, but because God is transforming human hearts. Depression that has been finding itself progressively freed from anxiety that has been crippling and yet God is continuing to work and draw us close and experience freedom like we're having a front row seat to the transforming power of the work of God in the lives of one another and Paul says I've seen it I've seen Christ like it's unmatched the power of what Christ can do in people's lives but then he says from Jerusalem to Illyricum so there's this place in Jerusalem and all the way up just kind of on the other side of of Rome or Italy um there's this place called Illyricum. And Paul says, as much as God has called me, I've, I've completed the task. I've done it. I'm done. I've finished the work that God has called me to do in the context of those spaces. And you're like, that's crazy. There are still unbelievers from Jerusalem to Illyricum. 
There are still people that don't know Jesus. And yet Paul was so convinced of the ministry that God had called him to that he could look back and say, yep, I did what I was supposed to do. What was that? Well, it was plant churches. It was plant gospel outposts in all of those places. Why? Because God's plan for the transformation of human hearts is the power of the Holy Spirit at work through the local church. Like the local church is God's plan A. It's God's bride. He cares about those gospel outposts in very difficult and challenging places around the world. Paul says, that was my mission. As an apostle to communicate the truth of the message and be a part of seeing churches planned, that was my mission. But other people who are in those churches are saying, my mission is to continue to communicate the truth of God's word and the mission of God and the lives of people in those spaces. Different calling, same God. But he's saying, I'm doing the very thing that God has called me to do so we can plant a church and move on and plant another church and continue to be apostle in all of these places and allow the truth of the gospel to have an impact. Because not only does the message drive or message compel ministry, but I think what Paul is saying is that mission drives decision. The mission that God has given us drives the decisions that we make. I mean, it's that significant. Who am I called to be? What is my gospel purpose that God has given me in my life? And from that standpoint onward, we make decisions based on those very things. Who am I in Christ and what has he called me to do? And that means I'm gonna do some things and not do others because of who he's called me to be. There'll be areas that I can give my attention because it, it, it's, it's included in the gospel purpose God has given me. There'll be other things that I'm not gonna do because that isn't the gospel purpose the Lord has given me. Other people will do it. So he begins to unfold this bigger picture of the church and say the most beautiful thing that could ever happen in the context of a local body is that everyone is doing all that they've been called to do for the body of Christ because you're called to do something that I'm not. But we're doing it together for the glory of God because everything we do is about the work of Christ in our lives. And so... I think it's critical for us to just realize that the goal is not to compare our lives with one another and to say, well, I don't know my gospel purpose or you have obviously figured it out and so I'll just kind of follow along. It's the slingshot. You're called to learn and experience the truth of God's message and be targeted and sent out. We're learned and launched as part of the church. The most significant places that you're gonna grow are in two ways. Through the truth of God's word in your life and through living your life as a gospel-centered individual in the world outside. Some of the greatest challenges you're gonna realize and that I'm gonna realize in my life is out there. <laughs> we're gonna deal with things that we're not feeling so prepared for in the process of those things. That is gonna be a part of how God is constantly and consistently changing us. And so as Paul finishes up, as he gives sort of his consistent travel plans in this text, I think he's just reiterating to us that the gospel is going to consistently move us to places and motivate us to be representatives of Jesus Christ around the world. And so in verse 20, he says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, and this is Isaiah 52, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Why is that significant? You have an Old Testament God 
in the book of Isaiah, it's concerned about those who don't know Jesus. From way back when, the mission of the church was not given in the New Testament. God's concern for the lost was not given post the resurrection. God's concern for the lost has been embedded in the heart of God from the very beginning. Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve make a decision to say, no, I think I know better than you. I'm going to do what I want to do. Obviously, in that moment, there's lostness. And then you have God, as the Bible tells us, that he's pursuing and calls to them in the midst of their decision, pursuing the lost on a regular basis, saving a remnant in Noah and his family, concerned about those who do not know the truth of who God is. See, we've all been given a gospel purpose because we've all been rescued by gospel grace. And so what does that mean? And the essence of, I think, what Paul is getting at is that ordinary people are equipped with an extraordinary message and then launched into a needy world. Whatever that might be, wherever God has positioned you at this moment is the very place God has sent you. Maybe it's gospel truth in the midst of your family. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Maybe it's your work. I don't know, and that's why I prayed when we started this message, is that God is, in some ways, speaking to you this morning. Through the truth of the message, the desire is not that we would churn with feeling like we're failing God and not doing what we're supposed to do. (laughs) That's not the message. The goal is to say, as I'm equipped with the message of God, how is he stirring inside of me to realize that my gospel rescue was for more than just me? There are others that are being changed and transformed as a conduit through me, through the work of Christ in me, my being that which represents the truth of God to the world around me. Ordinary people with an extraordinary message are launched into a needy world. What a great message. Why would churches not be filled across the country if this was the essence of what the invitation of the message of the gospel was. Well, I think that there's a lot of things that get in our way. But I think at the end of the day, the reality of what God is compelling us towards is to say, God is at work. God's in charge of the results. But he's working in you and he's given you a gospel purpose. And in the process, he's helping you be reminded that you've been rescued by gospel grace. Here's his final plans, the travel plans of Paul in verse 22. This is the reason why so often I've been hindered from coming to you. Why? Because I've been focused on my gospel purpose. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, there's nothing else left to do. I've planted all the churches I need to plant, and then I've left them to be stewarded by other preachers and other pastors. And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. My gospel purpose is not to retire in Rome. There's work to do. And to be helped on my journey by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. And at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints from Macedonia and Achaia, have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them for If the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered 
To them, what has been collected, I will leave Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. So his final prayer, one of his final prayers for the church at Rome is this. I appeal to you, brothers, by Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. What is he asking for? To strive together with me in your prayers to the God on my behalf that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Paul is just finishing this letter, this genuine pastoral letter that's rich in theology, rich in truth, with another pastoral plea. And he realized that as we think about doing ministry alongside one another, that we're never doing it alone. We need the infrastructure of one another. We need to believe that God is working in each other's lives for the call and the the beauty of the gospel as it's working out in each of each other's lives. You have a gospel purpose because you've been saved by gospel grace. I love how he starts to land the plane in Romans 15. In Romans 16, as Jared's gonna preach next week, is this list, 26 names of just people. You get the sense of Paul knowing the faces and hearing the names of people who are the church. And there's a connection and an intimacy. But he started the message the same way he's getting to finish it. And so as I finish, I wanna just read, remind us of Romans 1. Romans 1, verses one through six, says this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and who was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace, apostleship, to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ. Paul would say, and starts off his letter and finishes it, you are included in the mission of Christ. And it's not just for the purpose of your salvation. You've been given gospel purpose because you've received gospel rescue. And we need that daily. In those moments, we need to experience the truth of the life-transforming power of the word and the life-transforming power of community through the local church and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We actually are linking arms with one another to fulfill the calling that God has called us to. So let me just ask you once again to consider, what is the gospel purpose that God has placed on your life? How and what ways are we allowing the truth of our rescue to dictate and drive our decisions? If the message compels our ministry, and and missions, the mission itself, drives our decisions, how is the truth of God's word shaping the decisions we make? With one another, with the world around us, with the rhetoric we say, with the things we post on Facebook? And how, how is God transforming our lives in such a way that the very words we speak and the very things we think 
are the very words and the truth of who God really is. And when those don't happen, we're reminded of the fact that even daily we need rescuing gospel grace. Would you pray with me? Father, we do need you. We need you to be the God who is at work in life-transforming ways. God, we want to walk out the gospel purpose that you've given us, to represent you in every area that you've called us to, to live out the compulsions and the things that you are stirring inside of our hearts. But we do that because we need to be reminded that we've been rescued by gospel grace. We did not deserve nor merit any of your love or favor. You have saw fit to invite us into a relationship with you because of your work that's been done, not because of ours. You didn't hire us as employees because we were bringing something to the table. You invited us into a family because you were the one that is doing all the work. That Christ be magnified. Would that be the drumbeat of our heart? We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. As you can see,